from a pilot, my job is to spend most of the day looking out the window from a security guard, run away and call the police. That's their job description. My job description as a security guard, as a mall cop, is to run away as fast as I can and call the police, call the real guys. The followers of Jesus were given a really, really, really intense job description by Jesus in Matthew. He said, tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. That is a really, really intense job description. Raise the dead. The early church uh, was actually known as healers. In Acts, we see a picture of uh, the early church, um, and we're talking about that in the series, The God Beyond Religion. In Acts 3, it says, Now a man who is lame from birth was being carried at the temple gate called Beautiful. It's a nice name for a gate. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John, apostles, followers of Jesus, about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have. What I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the temple gate. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The Christians at the beginning were known as healers. And in the 4th century, it was the, the Christian church that began the spread of hospitals throughout the Roman Empire. So we have the first spread of hospitals in Rome because of the Christian church. They felt this call from Jesus to go out and heal the sick and take care of people who are sick. But when I think of church healings today, the picture that came to mind was Benny Hinn and people like him. healed. <laughs> Fall to the ground and then God heals them. What do y'all think of that? What do you think of being able to just miraculously heal in an instant? Have you experienced anything like that? Is, is that like if he wants to actually respond? If you have something to say, absolutely. You're always welcome. Oh, um, I, I would say that there, there are some, there are some things beyond our physical, uh, you know, worldly understanding of how healing works, um, and sometimes people who they don't understand it either or have the ability to do it either sometimes uh, pretend to, um, and we often uh, don't really know who's who or what's what or why. Yes. Um, so it's really hard to parse out sometimes, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I do believe miraculous things happen. I've heard enough stories to know that there are things that happen that go beyond anything that we can understand or make sense of. And I believe God can work in miraculous ways. Um, but what happens when we ask God to heal and it doesn't happen? What happens when we pray for that healing and, and nothing happens? This is 11-year-old Madeline. 
And she had a treatable form of diabetes and her parents refused to take her to the doctor because they believed that prayer would cure her. And at one point in her sickness, she could no longer talk or walk. And her parents still believed that they don't need medical intervention because prayer would cure their daughter. And when Madeline died in their home, they believed that they could pray and God could raise her from the dead. They kept praying. The parents were tried with uh, reckless homicide for not giving medical care to their daughter. What's interesting about this is that the parents were just following scripture. And James, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. One pastor in response to this the death of Madeline said that God didn't answer Madeline's parents' prayer because her parents weren't righteous enough based on this verse in James. The night before Jesus was killed, he prayed to God. He said, God, take this away. If there's any other way to do this, make it happen. I don't want to go through with this. And the next day, Jesus was tortured, publicly humiliated, and executed. In Matthew 27, around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? His prayer wasn't answered. My question, was Jesus not righteous enough for his prayer to not be answered? It's a tough topic. This is a really hard topic. I do believe God can do amazing, miraculous, unexplainable things. And there are things that happen that that go beyond anything that we can understand. And I've also heard the stories of the people who prayed and their spouse or their child was not cured, was not saved. And I've, I've done some of those funerals for those families. And when the prayers aren't answered, I've heard too many Stories of well-meaning Christians, myself included, trying to comfort those whose prayers were answered, who lost someone. And they try to comfort with these statements like, God needed another angel in heaven. It's all in God's plan. It must have been God's will. They're in a better place. Just trying to offer some sense of comfort to people when we don't know what else to say. We've been taught to say those things oftentimes as Christians. Good intentions, but a lot of times those those sayings are too simple. Not always helpful. Sometimes they're really, really painful for someone who's experienced loss. Adam Hamilton is a Methodist pastor of the largest Methodist church in the world. And he's an author. He wrote a book called Half Truths. And in the book, he, he talks about the phrase, everything happens for a reason. You know that phrase? It's often one of the responses when someone dies. Oh, everything happens for a reason. And this is what Adam Hamilton said. To say this way of thinking is true, that every rape, every murder, every act of child abuse, every war, every terrible storm or earthquake that claims people's lives 
every child that dies of starvation, all of these are part of God's plan. That is the awful truth we must confront when we buy into the half-truth that everything happens for a divinely ordained reason. The whole topic of God's sovereignty or, or how involved God is in our lives and in the world is, I mean, that's like a whole sermon series. But maybe questioning some of our responses to suffering when our prayers aren't answered can hopefully move us toward a better, more Christ-like response to suffering when our prayers aren't answered. I want us to know that when, with prayer and with healing, we are not trying to do some, uh, some magic or manipulate God or predict um, what God will do or test our level of faith as Christians. That's not what prayer and healing is about. I think a more authentic and wise explanation of healing for those who follow Jesus is simply to be open to something bigger than ourselves working through us. I want to ask this question. Is it possible that there is a distinction between healing and curing? Christian healing is not only about a sickness in our body being cured. Healing is about the healing of our heart, our soul, our mind, our emotions, our relationships with ourselves, a healing of our relationships with other people, healing of our relationship with um, the world. How do we make sense of the healings of Jesus? How do we make sense of that story in Acts of Peter and John? It said that, that in Acts that people would just come to Peter and John and try to break through the crowd just to touch their, uh, their robe so that they would be healed. I'm not sure that if you came up and touched my pant leg, if your disease would be cured. I don't see that happening um, like I read in that story. How do we make sense of that? We do need to understand the, the historical context of Acts, the first century, the Roman Empire. It was an incredibly uh, magical time. And when I mean magical, it was incredibly superstitious. That no matter what religion you had in the ancient world, you were superstitious. You believed in magic. You believed in spells. They had spell books from the ancient world. And some of them even mentioned Jesus because he had a reputation as a healer. Jesus wasn't the only one that had a reputation as someone who cured people of diseases or exercised demons. Other people in that time had a reputation for that. What made Jesus so special was not just that he cured people. I want to explain what I mean by that with a story. Ancient Jewish law in Leviticus outlined some rules for how to deal with uh, people who have a skin disease. And what they were supposed to do with the Jewish people is the priest was supposed to inspect them. And over time, they would observe their skin condition. And if it didn't get better, uh, they were to be pronounced unclean. And so the person who had this skin condition, they were supposed to rip their clothes 
And as they were walking down the street, they were to yell out, unclean, unclean. Imagine if you had a rash or psoriasis and you were walking through Pike Market yelling, unclean, stay away from me. Don't touch me, don't come near me. They were completely ostracized from their community. They were left homeless. They had no support system from family and friends or the church. And this is the context of a story of Jesus healing in Mark. A man with a skin disease, skin disease, a lot of translations will use the term leper or leprosy. Leprosy in Greek does not mean one condition of of leprosy. It's a term that means any kind of uh, skin issue, skin disease. So a man with a skin disease approached Jesus, fell to his knees and begged, if you want, you can make me clean. Deeply moved, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him and said, I do want to, to be clean. That word deeply moved is is a Greek word that means like you feel it in your bowels. You feel it in your gut, like down deep. It it was believed in the ancient world that your emotions is not from your heart. We use the word heart. I feel it in my heart. They would say, I feel it in my bowels. I feel it in my gut. And that's what Jesus felt, compassion, empathy. He He saw this man who was ostracized, separated from his community, and he felt it. He felt for him. He said, I do want to heal you, be clean. So instantly the skin disease left him and he was clean. Sternly, Jesus sent him away saying, don't say anything to anyone. Instead, go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice for your cleansing that Moses commanded. This will be a testimony to them. So as a Jewish world, he said, okay, follow the procedure. Go to the priest. Go to the priest, let the priest examine you and see that you are clean and so you can be welcomed back into the family, welcomed back into the community. Instead, man went out and started talking freely and spreading the news so that Jesus wasn't able to enter a town openly. The guy completely skipped the ritual to be welcomed back through the temple. He didn't return to the priest to get approval as clean. It's almost as if that man no longer saw the religious institution, the temple, as having the right to say that he was clean or unclean. Jesus made him clean. That was enough. So in the Gospels, Jesus is not simply curing a disease or or fixing someone's physical ailment. Jesus is... Ministry, his healing ministry, was attacking social and political and religious systems. Jesus' healing ministry said, I will reach out and touch the untouchable, touch the unclean, and welcome them back into God's family and God's world. And the temple, the church, has no power to say who is included and who is excluded. The government has no power to say who is included and who is excluded. Society has no power to say who is in and who is out. Jesus said, I do. Trumps all those other things. So Jesus said, the people that all of those systems exclude and say they're unclean, they're not worthy. Jesus said, those are the people who belong in the kingdom of God. 
Those are the people who are included, the ones that everyone else excludes. So by curing this man's skin disease, he healed something so much deeper in his soul. He healed the leper's isolation. He healed his loneliness. He healed his separation from the rest of society, from friends, from family, from community. You can be cured of a disease and still feel lonely and isolated and hurting. You can be suffering from a disease uncured and you can still find peace and you can still find joy and still find hope. Maybe curing and healing are two very different things. So we are called to pray for the sick and the hurting. We're not guaranteed a cure. We are called to heal, to bring peace, to reconcile people with one another, with God. That is healing. So how do we do that? We're called to suffer with one another just as Christ suffered. How do we do that? Paul helps us in the letter to the Corinthian church. He says, who makes a mistake and I do not feel his sadness? Who falls without my longing to help him? Who is spiritually hurt without my fury rising against the one who hurt him? When I see someone hurting, I hurt. I suffer with them. Says Hebrews 13, he writes, Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. That is how we share in Jesus' ministry of healing. That is how we, as followers of Jesus, heal people. We look on victims of abuse as if that happened to me. We share the hurt. We see someone hurting and we feel it in our gut feel it in our bowels so that they don't have to carry that burden by themselves. Henry Nguyen was a theologian and uh, specialized in psychology. He said, who can save a child from a burning house without taking the risk of being hurt by the flames? Who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart? and even losing his precious peace of mind. In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? To be healers means we do what God did. God became man, entered this world, and suffered, suffered with us, suffered with people, experienced his own suffering. He had compassion on those who were ostracized and hurting. We hurt when others hurt. We share the suffering. Suffering is life. It's part of life, and I don't know why. I have no idea why. The God that I see in Jesus is not one who just got rid of suffering and cured diseases. He did something much deeper. He entered into the suffering of people. He shared it, he carried it with people. And that is exactly what we are to do as followers of Jesus, where we see hurting and suffering. We say, you are not alone in that. 
And I may not have the words to say, but I will sit with you in your suffering. I will be here with you and you will not be alone. That is a fuller, more powerful picture of what it means to bring healing than simply fixing the physical ailment. It goes so much deeper than that. Kate reminded me of a great example of what this looks like in a movie, Patch Adams. I haven't seen this movie in so long. It is such a powerful story, true story of a man who was a healer. And I want to show you all a clip from that movie.
Jesus didn't just treat a disease. He healed a person. He healed souls. He healed hearts and lives and relationships. We are to do the same. Healing is not a one-time cure. Healing is a process. It takes a while sometimes. Sometimes healing means I have to separate from uh, the, the, a person or relationship that caused the hurt. And that's going to take time to heal. And as followers of Jesus, we say, I'm going to sit with you and be with you as long as it takes. And you're not going to feel that pain and that hurt alone. So when suffering happens, um, maybe for us the question should not be, where is God in this? Maybe the question should be, where's the church? We are the hands and feet of God, of Christ, healing people. We step up, share people's burdens, share the pain so that nobody has to go through it alone. Anxiety, depression, sickness, disease, hurt. How do we do that? How do we sit with someone in their suffering? How do we know what to say? How do we know how to be healers in our world? Well, lucky for us, we have a psychologist in our midst. Kevin is going to help us give some just really practical advice. How do we step in when somebody is hurting to offer healing? Thank you for that introduction. worried about having my hands occupied now. Thank you. Um, so before I say anything, I, I feel like I uh, need to make sure I fulfill a certain ethical obligation. Um, of course, what I talk about up here, you know, a lot of you uh, know that I'm a psychologist, and so uh, in order to behave ethically, I need to let you know that what I talk about up here um, I'm talking about in broad terms. This is not meant to tell you specifically how to treat each individual uh, in your lives. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, so, um, yeah, with that out of the way, I think I can get further. Is that good? Can you all hear me? Yes. Did you all hear my disclaimer? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. So, um, how to, how to sit with people, how to be with people. Um, I think, I mean, I'll try to put this to five minutes and we'll just keep, you know, hit, hit the really big points. I think one of the biggest um, concepts to understand about sitting with someone who's maybe in emotional pain and suffering is to not assume Perhaps y'all are familiar with the whole, um, you know, separating assume the word into three. Well, what is that? Yes. Is that what I want to say? Yeah. No. It's an ass out of you and me. Yes. Assuming makes an ass out of you and me. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that, like, as I, you know, work is someone who, like, currently I'm an educator, 
looking to get licensure soon. And, um, it's something that I think is very powerful when practice in general, um, not, not assuming, and also um, asking open-ended questions uh, with people who are maybe suffering or have gone through things that maybe make them a little bit more vulnerable to pain and hurt, uh, quite literally when folks, you know, go through some sort of emotional uh, pain or hurt, you know, due to whatever's happened in their past, they're a bit more sensitive, perhaps. Uh, quite literally, their brain is telling them, you know, approach this, avoid that, do whatever's given them pleasure or pain in the past. Great, that's a very simple, broad application of that principle. And so, you know, what, what I think we all can do as folks who, you know, we're part of a church or we want to help people who are suffering, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is sit with them, as you mentioned, and not assume. Not assume that I know specifically exactly what they ought to do in their situation. There's a general approach that, I, that came to mind, I think, the most when I thought of maybe what to say. Um, and how am I doing on time, by the way? Oh, you're great. I, I, I drove you're, you're, you're great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I literally, my classes I teach are like four-hour administrative classes, so like my concept of what's short and long is way off. Um, it's still very short. We're good. Very good, very good. Yeah, you got lots of stuff. So I, I, I think the, the general approach, something that kind of helps uh, in my mind kind of show maybe what it looks like a little bit more clearly, what, what that approach can look like is this general approach to helping people live more healthfully. Um, it's called motivational interviewing. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone here is already familiar with this approach, but I think it kind of serves as kind of a nice little model. Um, and to be honest, um, something that I think a lot about when I feel challenged, you know, emotionally, I feel like I'm you know, having an emotional reaction, whatever it is, to someone's talking to me and I want to help them go through something. Um, it helps me kind of take a step back a little bit, perhaps even in a mindful way, um, and help them. Um, what I like about this approach, motivational editing, it kind of assumes that at a certain level, folks want to live healthily. And it also, at a certain level, um, it respects the autonomy of the person to choose. And that's one of the most uncomfortable things I think that I've learned, you know, I, I have to deal with as someone who has worked with folks uh, and literally uh, talked about ethics early on. Uh, that's another thing that's very front and center, you know, doctors, nurses, whomever you're talking to, you know, like there's a respect to someone's autonomy, their right to choose. And where that comes into play, I think it makes a lot of us feel very uncomfortable. And something that can be difficult in working with folks is the understanding that they can that they can choose not to do the healthy thing. And 
I think that's also one of the most important things to demonstrate with someone who's maybe going through a really tough time, really difficult thing emotionally, is that they are allowed to and won't be judged either for choosing what they want to choose. You know, barring what danger to self and others and that sort of thing. But if we're talking about you know what, what they want to do personally, I think that's that's one of the most difficult things to watch someone that you care about, and that's something that I, I think is important to also recognize is that deep down as we're talking with and um, working with folks, that um, you know when 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 we feel that discomfort. Um, and we see that, you know, oh, I, you're not doing the thing that I know you ought to do or should do. That would be the healthy thing. I think um, it's important to recognize that come, that comes from a very good place. And I think it can help reframe sort of that discomfort that we want to get rid of. Which is another important thing to recognize, I think, in ourselves that, um, Feelings are not necessarily the enemy here. Uh, what's most important is focusing on helping connect with people. So kind of going back to the idea of motivational interviewing, um, what's really interesting and why I like it uh, in the context of this conversation is that if you can assume that people at some level kind of know that they ought to live more healthfully or do things that are psychologically better for them, whatever that is, um, that they will come up with those things themselves if they're guided and asked questions that guide them towards bringing those things up for themselves. And what's very interesting is that quite often when folks, you know, bring up things that, you know, they're, they're dealing with struggles or if it's um, you know using alcohol to avoid you know emotional pain or something like this, um, they know that they ought to you know stop doing it. But what's interesting about that is that they themselves are less committed to it when they're told by other people you ought to stop. It no longer becomes something that they themselves are interested in doing. It becomes that's what you want me to do, not me. And so, underneath this approach, um, I think it helps greatly respect the autonomy of the individual to live healthfully by asking them open-ended questions and kind of almost rolling with a fancy term that's used often is rolling with the resistance that people, you know, have over living more healthfully. Because I don't know if you know. Last time you may have thought about, oh, I should, you know, a general one is eat better. Y'all could probably eat a little bit better, maybe exercise more, whatever. What's interesting is already, probably in the mind, there's a lot of different things that get in the way. A lot of good reasons why we don't do those things. 
And inside, there's this internal sort of balance, balancing act that's sort of teeter-totter between reasons for, reasons against why we do what we do. And we seek balance between those things. And what's very fascinating is when folks get told, you know, really you should eat more healthy. Lay off the fried chicken. Yeah. Lay off, lay off the fried chicken. Um, then they're almost kind of obligated within themselves to like, well, I got to balance it out because that's a reason, you know, to do something. So, well, I would, if I had more time, there's just a lot of stuff in my schedule, blah, blah, blah. But what's interesting is if you go with that and help people understand and, and feel understood and feel heard about what difficulties that they're going through, what's interesting is that they'll feel that out of balance in the opposite direction. And what is helpful is to hear their reasons for doing things that would be life-giving and affirming and that sort of thing. And that, to me, is the real key. That you, that you help folks understand themselves better. That's empathy. Yeah. Compassion. Absolutely. And what's interesting is that it's not a fancy thing. And one of the things that I really liked from the Patch Adams did was, uh, what did he say about all the, even, I believe, he was implying the patients themselves? They're also doctors. I spent, well, I guess technically like seven years you know, learning how to do what I do. Um, it's it's not a super fancy thing. It's, it's it's something that takes you know training to learn how to do it on an individual by individual basis, sure. But I think um, basic premise of compassion and yeah. empathy, and so if you're struggling with anxiety and depression. I, I probably shouldn't say you need to smile more, and, and that'll, that'll no, fix no. it. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I think, like, understanding um, where folks are coming from rather than being told, well, you just need to do more things that you enjoy. That'll help, right? Um, I think what gets to a, a deeper Getting to a point where folks feel like their emotional burden or what is being like unbearable to them emotionally is being shared deeply. And that was something that you were alluding to uh, earlier. Um, a, a, a book by um, author of the last name Garfield wrote a book called Unbearable Affect. And the whole idea behind the book was that. Uh, in order to help folks who are going through a lot of emotional struggle and pain, the very basic, you know, bottom line thing to, to understand is that um, folks, you know, in general, they, they, they get to a point where they're, they're bearing, they're bearing, they're bearing their emotional struggles, whatever it is. And emotional struggles in general are normal. But what's considered more abnormal is when it gets to the point of being overwhelming. 
their burden is overwhelming. And so what they kind of need is someone alongside them to help bear the unbearable emotion or affect. And um, to me, that's a very simple, powerful um, image. And one of the images that I like to think of when I think of, um, you know, Jesus and kind of some of the things that he was talking about, um, he said, um, you know, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is passage, um, is that it's more about sharing that sort of double yoke, you know, you might think of, you know, the oxen having around their necks or something like this, but you share in that. And what's further, I think, affirming is that the emotions themselves don't destroy you. It's sort of like, um, to me, a good workout emotionally. Similar to how someone might go to the gym for you know strengthening physically their muscles and whatnot. As you go through it more and more, you're able to bear more and more. It's not to say that you're immune to everything at some point, but you know, it's something that, that you can get better at. And that's kind of the thing that I, I, I like to kind of close here, if, if I can put a bookend on it. I would say that that's. That's the exciting thing, I, I think, for all of us. We can get better at being with people. And it's not this thing that's only left to mental health professionals or whatever. And it's not fancy. You don't have to know fancy things. You can just simply be with someone asking open-ended questions with folks and see where things go. And being open, sort of, another metaphor I like to think of is having an open palm rather than a closed fist. What goes on? If you have a closed fist, well, what is in there is staying in there, but uh, you're probably less likely to hear what the other person's saying, what's going on in in their lives. Do y'all have any comments, thoughts, questions about anything we've talked about? Very philosophical. It's a. Where are some example questions in your motivational interviews that you? I'm gonna try to not sound like snarky or anything, but like, um, tell me more about that. Quite simply. Um, tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but honestly, that, that's that's one of the things where you know you. Learn how to say it, not sounding snarky as you say, but um, you know, tell me more about the. Um, I, I, another thing is, I want to hear more. Notice how I said that instead of tell me more. I want to hear more. I want to understand. Um, and that's the other part is that, you know, asking questions for clarification is another thing that's like very helpful because. Be honest, there's so many things that people are going through, they don't completely convey what's going on with them. So sometimes asking for clarification is extremely helpful and not demeaning at all. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I must not have heard that completely. Um, could, uh, could you help me understand what you just said? Okay. 
I do want us to be open to uh, the possibility of, of God doing something unexplainable and miraculous and good, and we should hope for that. But healing goes so much deeper down than something in our bodies that's cured. Healing goes so much deeper. And even if that thing isn't cured, we can still be there to offer love and peace and hope and joy for people. And I think that's kind of what we are more called to do as Christians. Maintain this hope that there's possibility beyond anything we can understand that good things can happen. And if that doesn't happen, then we can still offer healing and hope and peace. And so would you help me with communion? Sure. Jesus, night before he died, he was getting his followers ready for the suffering that was about to happen. He said that he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm sharing the burden, the suffering. He said, this is my blood. He poured the wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Every time you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my body and blood broken. Remember that I, God in the flesh, have, have experienced suffering. And maybe Christ is not one who causes our suffering, but Christ shares our suffering with us. That is what we see on the cross.